You're listening to Signal to Noise, part of the ProSound Web Podcast Network, proudly brought to you this week by the following sponsors. Allen and Heath, introducing their new CQ series, a trio of compact digital mixers for musicians, bands, audio engineers, home producers, small venues, and installers that puts ease of use and speed of setup at the heart of the user experience. RCF, who has just unveiled their new TT Plus audio brand, including the high-performance GTX series line arrays and the GTS 29 subwoofer. Be sure to check it out at rcf-usa.com. That's rcf-usa.com. I wish I Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Signal to Noise. I'm your host, Andy Levis. With me, as always, is my two dogs downstairs and my co-host, Sean Walker. What's up, Sean? What's up, dude? What's up, y'all? How you guys doing? I'm I'm doing all right. You know, it's it's been a busy uh, week and a half. You know, we we talked last time about Fashion Week and have been finishing that up, so it's just been fashion shows in all sorts of weird places, doing lots of calm things, and you know, now having a little bit of downtime to catch up. How about you? That's awesome, dude. That's uh, way more interesting than me. I'm elbows and eyeballs deep in ERP systems and CRM systems and inventory systems, and I pretty much just want to blow my brains out at this point of tech stack nonsense horseshit. That was a whole lot of TLAs <laughs> at once. Dude, just, just, I thought I was going to be able to mix rock shows, and here I got to like command a spaceship. It's freaking bananas, bro. <laughs> So uh, do, do you all, you all know what TLAs are? What do you, do you know what TLAs are? No, no. three letter acronyms. Oh, okay, yeah, all right, <laughs> totally. So, uh, so you all have been hearing laughing in the in the background. There, uh, our guest this week is uh, Richard Cadena. Uh, Rich is he literally wrote the book on entertainment electricity, uh, which what's the the official title is what electricity for entertainment electricians and technicians. It's way Did too long. Right? Yeah, electri- <laughs> electricity for entertainment, electricians, and technicians. And, and it, I specifically added and technicians because in Canada, you're not allowed to call yourself an electrician unless you have a commercial license. Fair enough. That's, I, I do. Like, we get into that argument here, here in the States, of course, but it's, it's, yeah, it's not quite as legally prohibited. But, uh, yeah, we, you know, power is one of those subjects that comes up every day in what we do. And, you know, like I've known, I've known Rich a long time. Rich taught the course that I did as a refresher right before I got my ETCP entertainment electrician certification, which we'll probably touch on a little later, uh, longer ago than I'd like to admit. So, you know, he's, he's been on my short list of folks to get on and introduce to Sean and the rest of y'all for a while. Cause I know we always have questions and this is one of the guys who knows the answers on that subject. So, Thank uh, well, thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, I, I was I'm honored, shocked. You I'm said honored yes. to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're quite amped up for this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit revolting. Ooh. <laughs> All right, he'll fit in, he'll, you'll fit in fine. Uh, so why don't before before we start with questions, and we've got a bunch that like some friends and listeners sent in, but why don't you give us a little little about you, what you do, how you got into into that, and and all that? Yeah. Well, I got in uh, kind of by accident. I was I was pl- I was a musician, and I wanted to be a roadie. And there was a at the time there was a company in Austin, Texas, 
called Black Star Productions. They did all the concerts. You'd go to a show and you'd see their banners up. And so, you know, when I got tired of starving, uh, trying to make music, you know, play music, I called, I, I looked them up and I called, well, I couldn't find Black Star because they, I didn't know they'd already gone out of business, but there was another company called Blackstone Audiovisual. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I just got it wrong. So I called them up and I go, hey man, you guys need a tech? And they go, yeah, yeah, come on down and, and uh, apply. So I went down there and uh, got the job. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm giving you the short version because I actually, I got the job, but I, uh, I told them I didn't want to work full time because I was a musician. And they went, oh, no, 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 no. We have too many musicians. No, you can't have the job. So I said, okay, well, I'll be back a year <laughs> later. I'll be back next year when the band winds down. So, and I was, I came back 366 days later and the guy remembered my name <laughs> and hired me on the spot. Richard Bellevue, he, he's got an incredible memory. But um, so I, and I worked for them for probably three days before I realized it was the wrong company. But <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't Black Star, it was Black Stone. But we were <laughs> installing sound lighting and video systems in nightclubs all over the country. And, and then a year later, they changed their name to High End Systems. And that's how I got in the lighting business instead of the audio business. Because I always say, wanted to be I an know. audio engineer. Yeah, they're still around. They got bought by ETC. They're doing pretty well. Well, and and then from there, you you've kind of like you've had a I, like what bulk of your career is teaching? Because you do a lot of teaching. Is that exclusively yeah. what you do at this point, or is that just a part of it? It's a part of it. No, uh, you know, I I worked for High End for 13 years, and then I left and and uh, went did a couple of things, but ultimately I started freelancing. And from my experience there, I wrote a book called Automated Lighting: The Art and Science of Moving Light. And, um, and this is right around the time they started the ETCP certification program, and they needed people to teach prep courses. So Jim Utterback from Local 22 in DC called me up and he said, hey, you want to come to DC and teach a three-day class? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I went and people came from New York and from Miami and from Philly and DC. And we had this huge class and that class led to another class, which led to another and it just kind of snowballed. I never intended to, I never set out to teach you know, uh, workshops or classes or anything. Uh, but the demand is there and it kept increasing, but I still work, uh, shows because I want to, um, stay current and relevant and, you know, keep up with the technology. Technology moves fast and practices, techniques change. So I still love unloading the trucks. I still, you know, I love the smell of, uh, truck unloading in the morning. So yeah, so you're the one that. guy, huh? The one guy that likes unloading <laughs> I'm, I'm trucks. I'm the one. I'm the one. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, I got like plenty a, of trucks to unload. Come it's on, it's gonna up. be like a self feeding <laughs> thing. Like inhaling that exhaust just makes you a little crazier, which makes <laughs> you want it more. <laughs> that's right. This explains a lot yeah. about you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You get me, man. You get me, right? Um, yeah, and I mean that's. I mean that's what I like. I said I took your class. Like you gotta be like. More than 10 years, because it's a five-year renewal on ETCP, right? I think every right. five? Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah. it's, it's got to be about, like, 12 years or so, because I've renewed twice since then. And, yeah, cool. it was, it was like, for anybody who's considering that, and, again, we'll, we'll revisit that uh, to explain what it is for the folks who don't. It's, like, it's great to be able to get that refresher, both for the little bits of things you forget and also just the, 
Oh, I actually do know this. It's it's like that mm-hmm. that little bit of confidence boost going, you know, going into that certification exam because it's it can be a scary thing. Um, I mean, maybe I guess while we're on that subject, why do we should let's explain to folks what ETCP is and kind of get that out of the way because I know in the theater world, lots of people know about it, and I don't know that as many folks in the concert world, which is where a lot of our listeners are, do. Yeah, so the Entertainment Services Technology Association, ESTA, started a certification around 2006, I believe it was. And it's primarily because, you know, there, there's there been some accidents and, you know, the insurance companies start asking questions. Who's qualified to do this? And so they started, uh, well, they put together a, a um, subject matter experts to write an exam for rigging and for uh, electrical so in, in in the beginning, there was arena rigging and theater rigging, and then there was entertainment electrician, which is which covers power distribution and lighting control systems. And then they tacked on portable power distribution technician certification probably about, I don't know, seven years ago-ish. And so today there's four different certifications. And basically, you know, you take an exam, and if you pass, then you become certified. And... People say, well, what does that get you? Well, you know, it depends where you are, but there are some positions that require certification to take in order for you to be hired. And then there's also, sometimes there's a bump in pay. I know in my local, at um, IOTC Local 205 in Austin, some some of the uh, calls are are for certified electricians and riggers, in which case you get a hourly bump in pay. Right on, and I so I'm I know that that power distribution uh, certification came up. Is that is that a it's a subset of the full CE or is it an entirely separate? Like at least yeah, in terms so of su- subject. The way that came up was um, at the time it was um, was uh, PSAV uh, had a lot of technicians who were setting up lighting gear and audio and video gear, but they very seldom set up a big control system. You know, it's a very simple control system. So You don't say. uh, (laughs) Right. And so the company thought, well, why do they have to take an exam that covers controls when our controls are very simple? So so they went and asked for another certification. And so basically the uh, portable power distribution technician certification is kind of a subset of entertainment electrician. It covers mostly the same um, topics, except for lighting controls. So it, both of them cover, you know, um, power calculations and grinding and bonding and, you know, all these things that matter when you're distributing power on a stage. Copy. So basically, as a, as a sound engineer, if that had existed when I took the CE, I probably would have been well-suited and would have just taken that one instead. Right. Yeah. If you're a sound engineer and you never touch a lighting console, then why do you need to take the entertainment electrician certification when you can take the portable power distribution technician certification. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, now that I have it, I'm going to keep renewing the one I got. But sure. <laughs> but yeah, for yeah. folks there, that certainly, yeah, it makes it a little easier, a little less studying of things that, that you don't deal with anywhere outside of it. That's that's a cool thing. Absolutely. Um, cool. But the, but then the training that you do, obviously, I, I feel like we should clarify, is not just targeted towards folks taking the test. That is one of the things you do is kind of that refresher brush up. But you teach classes for kind of all levels of, of yeah. uh, stagehands, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. From top to bottom, you know, especially since the pandemic, there's been um, a flight of talent from our industry. And uh -huh. or, um, so um, I thought it'd be a good idea to, to teach, to, to cover some real uh, foundational stuff. So, you know, I'm doing an L1, L2 uh, tech class in Atlanta at the end of March and uh, got have, have some other things on the horizon as well. But, uh, you know, there's just such a demand for um, the, the technology is not getting easier, any easier to understand or to put together. And then you have a, a whole bunch of new people coming into the industry. So the time is right for, you know, some just all kinds of training. Awesome. And yeah, that's, I mean, that's, I know I've certainly seen that since the pandemic come back. There's, yeah, new people coming in, old people going out. And I think also right. just like the, the downtime we all had to learn for a certain segment of the industry pleasantly made it so that we realized, like, oh, we do have a lot of things to learn and we don't know it all. And let's like, I feel like it opened up people to <laughs> absorbing more education that that when we were slammed before the pandemic, people were less open to. Wait, you guys know texts yeah. that, don't think they know it all? <laughs> I've met a few lately. Yeah. It's been a pleasant wow. surprise. That would be a pleasant surprise. You say that, but but what's what I think is really interesting is that I have uh, very often very experienced people coming into to the class, and sometimes they're forced to take it or sometimes they're encouraged to take it, but you can tell they're not really uh, there of their own volition, but then they end up leaving and they go, wow, I didn't know what I didn't know. And, you know, it's, it's kind of illuminating for no pun intended, but, you know, when somebody <laughs> shows you the stuff, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that I didn't know that. Right? Yeah, totally. That's the story of my life. Um, all of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So on, on, on that too. subject, uh, as, as you've been teaching these classes now, you know, a decade and going, um, what, are some of the, what, what are some of those most common things that come up that people are like, oh, wow, I had no idea about that? Like, do you notice patterns yeah. of... Yeah. So, well, you know, it, surprisingly enough, um, there are a lot of very experienced, very intelligent people who don't really know how to do power calculations because there's a confusion about when to use the single phase power formula versus the three phase power formula. And, you know, I'm going to lose some of the audience here because, uh, you know, um, the, who was the, uh, the author that once said that his publisher told him that for every equation he puts in the book, he cuts the audience in half, you know? So I'll try not to, <laughs> I'll try not to mention the M word math, but, but, you know, the only difference between those two really is, well, there's a lot of differences, but one has a square root of three, one doesn't, but you use the three phase formula on the three phase circuits, you know, the feeder, and then you use a single phase formula on the branch circuits, but people sometimes get that confused. And so very often, uh, you know, power calculations can be a bit challenging. Um, the other thing that people, um, well, there's actually s several topics, but the, the main ones are um, power calculations. Um, also, uh, a power factor is sometimes hard for people to grasp. And then also, grounding and bonding, you know, um, as people have been mentioning, that their power, grounding and bonding is very often misunderstood. And I think part of the reason is the terminology we use. You know, when you have a power cable, when you plug in your audio amplifier, and if you, if you were to peel the jacket off that cable, you know, there's three wires in there. You have a black wire, a white wire, and a green wire. And the green wire we call a ground. 
but it has nothing to do with the earth. It's really a bonding conductor, and its sole purpose is to make sure that if there's a short circuit to the chassis, that it trips the circuit breaker and removes that stray voltage. But we, because we call it a ground, people think that it has something to do with electricity flowing through the earth, which it does not, you know? So, um, and once you draw pictures and show people, it's not hard to understand. It's just that people often, you know, very often in our industry, people are trained by somebody who is trained by somebody who's trained by somebody who they got on the job training. It's, it's not very often that people go and, um, you know, study electricity or power distribution or electronics formally and then come into the industry. You know, I once taught a class in, in Boston where one of the people in the class said, everything I know about electricity, I learned in art school. And I, I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right <laughs> for a lot of us, you know. So... Um, it, it's you were not like looking that, at the smattering of your orange extension cords all over the stage. That tracks. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, we have a lot of really bright, gifted, intelligent people in the industry. But, 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 you know, there are people who are experienced, and experience doesn't teach, always teach you the right lessons. Sometimes experience teaches you the wrong lessons. You know, uh, how many times have you... Uh, encountered somebody lifting the ground. And at the end of the night, you know, everything worked, nobody got hurt. So they figure, oh, I, I don't need that green wire. That's superfluous, you know, but that's not true. It's, it's there for a very important reason. It's there, it actually saves people's lives, you know. So um, experience doesn't always teach you the right lessons. The combination of training and experience can't be beat. That's really what we need more of. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you already mentioned two topics that I think for the, for the sake of listeners, you know, coming along with us who aren't as familiar, we, we should probably dive into both of those. I know one question we got in advance was a, a little bit of a like kind of single phase versus three phase for dummies. Like, do you think you yeah. give a little crash course for folks on that? Sure. Yeah. You know, and uh, if you think about where three phase or polyphase power originated, you know who invented polyphase power? Any idea? Take a wild, wild ass guess. I, was gonna, I, I mean, Andy's it's going to be either Edison or Edison or Tesla. <laughs> Tesla, Andy's yeah, mom. Nikola Tesla. Yeah. And well, yeah. Andy's mom maybe figured it out later on, but but first it was Tesla. <laughs> and and <laughs> sorry, mom, dude. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Uh, where were we? So Tesla. So, Tesla. Thank you. And not the yeah, cars. So Tes <laughs> you're right. Nikola invented it for for one one main reason, and that is because at the time we um, you know we had lights and we had motors. You could run a light with AC or DC, but you could only run a more motor with DC power, and you need brushes for that. And brushes are very inefficient, and re and Tesla recognized that. So he conceived of the idea of polyphase power, you know. So if you think of single phase, at, you know, the voltage is a sine wave, right? So it, the, the voltage rises and falls and goes negative and goes positive, rises and falls, rises and falls. Well, that tracks with the torque of the motor. So when the voltage drops to zero, the motor stalls. <laughs> that doesn't work very well. So Tesla got the idea, well, why don't we have two sine waves? 
And if they're out of phase with each other, then when one of them is at peak torque, the other is at zero and vice versa. So the motor never stalls. The motor keeps going around and around and around. Well, that's two-phase power, which, by the way, you know, there was some two-phase power installed years and years ago. And there's still some, if you, if you Google it, you'll find there's two buildings in Philadelphia and I think one other one somewhere on the East Coast that still have two-phase power. And that is they're out of phase by 90 degrees. Now, um, people later on figured, well, hey, if two phases is good. How about three phase? So they tried three phase and they found it's more efficient. You America, know, and three more is better. <laughs> more is better. Right. Sorry. So so three phase power is you, you can think of it as three independent circuits or three independent sine waves, but they're out of phase with each other. But instead of being out of phase by 90 degrees, they're out of phase by 120 degrees. So if you draw a circle, it's 360 degrees. You go around one third, and then another third, that's where the three phases are. So the whole idea being that you have three independent circuits, but two of the circuits actually share a conductor. And, and they can do that because they're out of phase with each other. You know, um, you people being audio people, you understand that if you take um, two sine waves and they're out of phase with each other by 180 degrees, what happens? If you, add, if you sum them and they're completely out of phase with each other, what kind of sound do you get out of it? They cancel. You get none. They cancel. You get nothing, right? Now, if you back off on the phase angle, so instead of 180 degrees out of phase, it's 120 degrees out of phase. Now what happens? You All get, sorts you get, of weird shit. <laughs> magic. No, you get partial phase cancellation. Yeah, crappy sounding drums. That's what you get. There you go. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because of the partial phase cancellation. So because of the partial phase cancellation, what that means is that conductor is conducting less current, even though it's, it, it's, um, it has the same amount of energy. So it's more efficient to have three phase power than single phase power. Now, somebody then said, well, why don't we have four-phase power or five-phase power or six-phase power? And they did. They tried that, you know. But here's the thing is that, you know, you, for four-phase power, now instead of three hot conductors, you need four. That's more copper. costs more, especially if you're going miles and miles and miles. And, you know, same thing with five-phase and six-phase. But, but there, are, there were some uh, six-phase systems out there. Um, are you guys familiar with Chipmunk? Chipmunk was uh, a lighting designer way back in the 70s. Mm -hmm. he like was... Alvin Simon and Theodore? <laughs> uh, no. Oh. <laughs> Close, though. <laughs> Different Chipmunk. This was, uh, his last name is Monk. First name, uh, I think it's Edward. But Chip. It, he goes, goes by Chip. Yeah, first name Chip. Okay. And so uh, he was the Rolling Stones des lighting designer in 1970 when they, when they did the STP tour. And I think that might have been the first worldwide concert tour. And he told me that when they went to Paris, they found six-phase power in there. And, you know, so what do you do? Whoa, well, cool. you, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, you know, you, you, you connect to every other phase. So they had three-phase power, but they only used, uh, they had six-phase power, but they only used three phases, you know. So the whole world is settled on three-phase power because it's more efficient. So... That's 99 times out of 100 when you go to a venue, modern-day venue. That's what you're going to encounter. Does that make sense? Totally. Yep. And then in 
then I, I think most everybody at this point is familiar with like the voltage differences across two hots versus one hot to neutral. But like, should we? Like, well, ho- should we? Yeah, give the quick and dirty. Yeah, on hopefully the, on the so. Math on yeah, that. so yeah, yeah. So when you go into a venue and you see a switch and it's going to have five camlock connectors on it, so there's green, white, black, red, and blue. The black, red, and blue are your three hots. So if you have a 120 volt distro and you roll it in and you connect it with feeder cable from the distro to the switch, then you know your 120 volt connectors, which are likely to be Edison. Or, you know, sometimes um, now they might be PowerCon or True One. But when you connect your load, it connects from the black to white. The first one, you know, circuit one will connect from black to white. Circuit two will connect from red to white. Circuit three, blue to white. And then it starts over again, black, white, red, white, blue, white. And it does that so it connects it in a balanced configuration. But that's what we call a phase to neutral connection. And that will apply 120 volts to the load. Now, if you have a 208-volt distro and you roll it in and you connect it to the switch with feeder cable, then you're going to have hopefully a different connector, you know, an L620 or an L630. You could have PowerCon, but when you connect your load, it's going to be connected from phase to phase. In other words, it'll go from black to red, red to blue, like circuit one will be black to red, circuit two, red to blue, circuit three, blue to black, and then start over again. Again, because we want to connect our loads in a balanced configuration. So, um, you know, that's the difference between 120 or 208, or technically it's phase to neutral or phase to phase. And that would be in North America. Now in Europe, it's a whole different system, but, you know, same same idea. So cool. we, we mentioned balancing the loads on each of the phases. Uh, for the, I, I think most of our listeners are least familiar that that's a good idea to do. But I don't know that everybody understands why that's important. So why don't we why don't we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, it's especially important on a portable power generator because it's what you call a soft supply. It's smaller, and it's more easily influenced by the load. So if you have a severely unbalanced load, that electrical imbalance translates to a mechanical imbalance on the generator. And if you've ever thrown your wash in the laundry and it all goes to one side and it starts, you know, knocking clump, 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 you know, that's what the generator's doing. The generator will walk or it'll do, you know, and you can actually damage the generator. It'll also potentially distort the waveform, the voltage waveform. So you get some, you know, some weird things happening there. And that's primarily what you're concerned with with on grid power or shore power or building power, whatever you want to call it. If you have a severely unbalanced load, then you run the risk of, of having voltage distortion, which can affect you, especially the sound. You know, it can affect the sound. Um, the irony is that <laughs> regardless of how we connect the load, as soon as the lighting guy fires the first cue or the video goes off or the, even audio, it, it throws everything out of balance because it's variable loads, right? Depending on the content. So, you know, but you, you at least try to start with as balanced a load as possible. So don't put all your subwoofers on one leg of power is what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Yes. Yeah. Don't put totally. all your follow spots on one leg. Don't put all your subs on one Man, leg. I, yeah. I don't want to try it to see if I can just literally tip the generator <laughs> yeah. over behind the stage. Just <laughs> boom. Just thump. generator there doing the Genesis. <laughs> I can't dance walk across there. <laughs> just thump, 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 th
Oh yeah, it sounds like something uh, that I would do for fun on, on yeah, a, right. at a lab. You know, we do we do crazy stuff. You know how they always tell you never coil your excess feeder cable. What, yeah. what do we do yeah. at our hands-on classes? We coil the feeder cable. Let's just see what happens. A lot of what fun. happens? Uh, you make a Nothing. big giant electromagnetic uh, electromagnet, and the audio people go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. How many coils does it have to have to have to get toasty? <laughs> yeah, it depends on how far the audio cable is. But if you know if you run the audio cable close to it, it doesn't take that many coils. All right. Um, I mean, I think the the logical, like practical question I go to from there once we're talking about phases is neutral sizing versus uh, versus like line conductors. Because again, mm-hmm. that's the thing that I feel like a lot of people either just take for granted because they're getting bundle sets of feeder or just don't know to ask the question. Right. So it is it is a good practice to oversize the neutral, especially if you know you have a lot of harmonics. And, you know, that's basically anything with a switch mode power supply or a computer chip in it potentially can generate harmonics in the so electrical system. So nothing we use in sound world at all. <laughs> No, nothing at all. No, <laughs> right, right. So what can happen? It, you know, normally when you have uh, a balanced load, there's no current on the neutral because the neutral is is carrying the return current for all three uh, hot phases, hot legs, but they're out of phase with each other, so it cancels out. But when you have harmonics, they actually reinforce, and so you get very high current in the neutral. So you need a bigger neutral conductor. Now, it's, it's not just a matter of, you know, you can double the neutral, but that means you need everything in the system has to be, uh, the neutral has to be oversized. That means the feeder transformer, the switch. Uh, if you're using a portable power generator, usually there is a, um, a, lot, of t- a lot of them have a, a cam bus so that there's usually four sets of cams on it. So you can easily double the neutral. That's called double pumping. In the film industry, but that allows you gotcha, to we never. Got the second kid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, so now I lost my. <laughs> thought. No, I didn't. No. So you can you can double pump, <laughs> double pump the neutral, so that you don't never have to worry about overloading it because a neutral conductor actually has no fuse and no circuit breaker. So if you are carrying too much current on the neutral. You can literally burn it up, and I don't mean it's going to like go up in smoke. But what what's going to happen is, you know, when you overheat a conductor, the first the weak link, the first thing that happens is the insulation starts to break down, and if the insulation becomes brittle and cracks and crumbles, then you have a shock hazard and a potential fire hazard. Okay, so if we're in in layman's terms, and, and it's it's half a question, half a statement, so I'm trying to clarify for myself. If you've got standard you know, like number two feeder or whatever. Are you thinking like number two feeder is cool for all of it, and then like a two ought for the neutral to make it oversized would be a, a better bundle than buying all five at the same time kind of thing? Is that what you're, is that the same right. line of yeah. thought? Yes, you can, ab- you can absolutely do that. However, if you have a 100 amp distro, then your, your, uh, your two ought feet neutral is being connected to back to a 100 amp bus, so it doesn't really do you any good. What you need is a 200 amp distro and two aught with, but you're only um, you're only drawing 100 amps. So it, you're effectively 
derating your distro 50%, which there's nothing wrong with that. You can do that and accomplish the same thing. It's just that all of your buses now will now be 200 amp buses, but you're only treating it as a 100 amp bus. That's, that's essentially what you're doing by using number two wire with a two aught uh, neutral conductor. I guess I, I, I misunderstood the, the question or statement. Well, you, you were saying you should oversize the neutral wire, right? That's right. So if, if we got you know five number two wires coming out for our standard five-pack the order, do we need something else for the neutral? Well, again, you can, yeah. So you can have um, number two wire for everything and then use two-aught for the neutral. That does oversize the neutral. But what are you going to connect the neutral to? I mean, it's all going to the same distro, right? Yeah, the distro. Yeah. If if you connect it to a 100 amp distro, which is what number two wire is for, sure, totally. Then your two aught, your oversized neutral is not really doing any good because your the distro is the bottleneck in the whole system. I understand what you're saying now. It's not okay. just the wire; it's the entire thing makes the bottleneck. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. So when you go into a theater, for example, and you see a switch on the wall that has two neutrals. That actually has two neutrals all the way back to the feeder transformer. And the feeder transformer itself has an oversized neutral inside of the feeder transformer. So it's through and through. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm trying to, there's, there's like three different directions we can peel off from there, like all of which I want to I wanna touch on. So I'm trying Get to think of which. bro. Yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> as, as long as we're on the subject of like neutral and ground bonding, I think that's, that was a question that we said came up a came up a bunch and um, isolation transfers. I know in the Broadway world are super common. I feel like I see them much less often in the concert world, but not not never. And then I know we have some of our uh, our friends who are touring acts that cross between here and Europe. Also deal with step up transformers, which have some of those same ground neutral. Uh, I don't know if concerns the right word. I think confusion is is more the right word. Yeah. Um, so why don't we why don't we talk a little bit about that about like where should ground and neutral be bonded where should they not sure yeah well first of all they should be bonded because if they're not bonded that's not a safe system and and what'll happen is if there is no bond then if there is a short circuit to the chassis then the circuit breaker will not trip which leaves stray voltage you know very dangerous stray voltage so if you take your multimeter and you put it in continuity mode and you check for continuity anywhere in the electrical system between the green wire and the white wire, you should have continuity. But the thing is, it should only be bonded once in the entire system. And it's either bonded in the feeder transformer or generator or the first panel after the feeder transformer or the generator. And the, um, the curveball is that in RVs, um, there's a bay for a generator and then it's close to the circuit breaker panel, and it's, it's usually bonded in the breaker panel, not in the generator. So there's a lot of small putt-putt generators out there that are not bonded. So if you take a putt-putt and you go shoot a film on location and, and you don't check for the bond, then you could be, uh, you know, you could, you could, somebody could get hurt. So you should always check for a bond, especially on generators, you know. Now, um, I've also heard a couple of stories about feeder transformers in buildings that were uh, either not bonded or there, there was two bonds in the system, you know. 
So there should, again, there should be one bond. And if they're not bonded, then, um, you know, I've, I've heard people say that they've run into issues with um, weird stray voltages and that kind of stuff, which makes, which does make sense. Um, and then I've also heard a story, I was working in, a, in an arena, I won't say which one, <laughs> but the, one of the electricians in there told me that, um, that several years prior that a band came into play and they had a ground loop and they, they had that 60 hertz hum you're, that you're well familiar with, right? And so they wanted to lift the ground. So one of the house electricians um, saw what they were doing. They said, well, wait a minute. Before, why don't we just un undo the bond in the feeder transformer? Because they had all these portable feeder transformers. They go, if we unbond the feeder transformer, then you don't have to lift the ground. It's already done. You know, there, there's no connection. So they actually opened up the feeder transformer, took out the bond on all of their feeder transformers. And for years, their transformers are not bonded, which is not safe. You know, fortunately, that situation was uh, rectified because I checked <laughs> when I went in there uh, to, to do a show and they're all bonded now. But it is important that they're bonded because otherwise that can be uh, disastrous. So, but, um, the, you know, the other thing is if you have a secondary bond, then what happens is you start having current in the grounding conductor. You know, there's not supposed to be any current in the ground unless something goes wrong, you know, if there's a short circuit. So if you have a, if a bond in the feeder transformer and in a panel or in a, sometimes even fixtures or, you know, uh, amplifiers, people will, will connect the, the, the ground and the neutral together. They'll bond them. And what that does is it causes a parallel path for return current. So you have your outgoing current on the hot conductor and return current on, that's shared between the neutral and the ground. So you have high current in the green grounding conductor, which causes all kinds of problems. It's, it's a, um, it can be a shock hazard. It causes noise in the audio system or video, and it's, it's never good. So there should only be one bond. And can sense. you reiterate? Yeah, yeah. Can you reiterate how, how we check for that one more time since we've started and then sure. went through the long process and then now we reiterate <laughs> yeah. how we, for us, us laymans, how do we check for that? Yeah, it's real simple. Take a multimeter, put it in continuity mode, and put one probe anywhere in the electrical system on a white conductor or terminal and the other on a green uh, terminal. So what I do is I like to take a, uh, I don't know what you guys call them, a stinger cable or extension cord or an Edison and mm -hmm. plug it into anywhere in the electrical system. And uh, then I can carry it around with me and I can check to, to make sure that uh, everything is bonded, like stages are bonded correctly, and that, um, you know, it minimizes stray voltages. But also you can just do a quick check for continuity between the green and white, make sure you have continuity. So, and that'll awesome. tell you if you do have a bond. Now, what, what gets trickier yeah. to check is is discovering if you've got multiple bonds or if, like, I know... yeah. I know there's some like I, some of the ideal testers have ways of testing for that. I don't know. Are there any other good ways other than just hunting it down? Well, I just meter the the ground uh, the ground conductor feeder cable, and if okay. you have more than I would say like um, than about a half an amp, you know, then there's likely 
there's likely something wrong with the system. Although I, you know, that could be caused by a couple of different things. So, you know, as soon as a cable is made, the insulation starts to deteriorate. And the older it gets, the more it dries out and cracks and the more leakage current it, it allows. I feel you, so, cable. I feel you. Yeah, right? <laughs> and so um, I've seen some systems, just because the, the insulation is so bad that it leaks t- tens of amps, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 amps. Um, good cables won't do that. New cables, fresh cable won't do that. But if there's a secondary bond, then you'll start to get a lot of current in the grounding conductor. So if you see it in the feeder, then what I the way I would sort that out is try to turn off as many loads as you can or disconnect them and then reconnect them one at a time and turn them on one at a time and monitor the ground current. And as soon as you you find something that has a secondary bond, as soon as you connect it or turn it on, you'll see the, the current jump and that's your clue where to start looking. Sometimes it's in a panel. You know, commercial electricians will often automatically bond the neutral and the ground in every panel because you know if you're doing a an apartment complex that's the way you do it you know because every apartment has its own meter but that's not how you do it in our world but they will often uh, make that connection in every single panel in which case now you've got a lot of what they call the, the national electrical code calls objectionable current and that just means there's current in the grounding conductor when it shouldn't be there you know, so in that case, you would have to disconnect the panels themselves until the current goes away and then start reconnecting panels if you have that ability. Right on. And for the record, objectionable current is the name of my ACDC cover band. <laughs> I love it. Word. Love it. Mine is square root of three. <laughs> That's, do you have a number where you just stand there up on stage for like three minutes without any sound and it's the imaginary number? <laughs> Yes, the Cage version, the John Cage version. Um, yeah, um, on the on we were talking a little bit about phases, and one question that actually came up elsewhere in my world recently on one of the chain hoist groups was talking about phase converters because, uh, like chain hoist, they were always do need three phase power for that motor to rotate, and uh, folks were talking about like when you're in a room that you only have single phase power getting that to work and that apparently there are are converters that can basically turn single phase into triple phase. Yeah, I think they're rare. I mean, sure, you can do that. Basically what you're doing is you're taking any power and you are running it through a uh, an inverter to turn it into DC to charge up a battery and then you have three inverters to to turn it into three AC waveforms. So if you're going to do that, why not just use a battery battery inverter system to begin with? You know, I, um, I've been working a lot lately with battery inverter systems. Um, we, I mean, big on large on a large scale, we did Lollapalooza with um, a dozen 60 kilowatt, 120 kilowatt hour battery inverter systems in a in a big solar farm. And we're doing, we did uh, Willie Nelson's Luck Reunion last year, powered a bunch of stages with that. We're doing it again this year. We're doing South By. Um, and that's a, an area that's really developing a lot. I mean, not to get off, off subject here, but that's essentially what, you know, it's the same thing, just on a different scale. 
No, that's cool. And that's that was definitely a little further down the list of things I wanted to ask you about was some of that stuff because that's a that's a really cool I mean we talk we think about going like solar and battery power for our houses all the time, but right. it it's sort of it I don't know that we don't necessarily think of it, it's just it's not widely known that like you can expand that out to like a full production scale. So yeah, I'd certainly yeah. love to hear more about yeah. that. Yeah, it is scalable. And it's uh, it's kind of funny because when we first started doing this and we'd build a solar farm and I'd take a picture of, of myself in front of it and post it on Facebook. And there are a lot of naysayers, not, not a lot, but you know, some small percentage of people who say, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> we're like, really? Because we're, I think we're doing it right now. We're doing it, you know? And uh, we've scaled it up and we've, we've done, I mean, we haven't, so we did the floor pack. We did, we, we've provided five services for Billie Eilish's set at Lollapalooza. And that was for the lighting floor package, the video floor package, the video world, audio world, monitor world, and backline and uh, special effects. And, you know, most stages could be run off of those five services that we provided. This just happened to be a really, really big stage. Now they initially asked us to do all of the lighting and but but we declined because we wanted to take it in steps um, because this is the largest system I believe that's probably ever been assembled like this before the, at least the manufacturer of the battery inverters who came out and witnessed it they said, yeah, we've never seen this many connected together before and so um, you know it's it is definitely scalable you can do any size show with it. And there's lots of advantages to it, um, but that, I mean that's a little bit off of subject from what, from what you're talking about inverting power for a three you know single phase to three phase, but it's the same principle, it's the exact same thing. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense, and that's it's a cool tangent to take it in. Um, I know, curious, like we could go deep down the rabbit hole of like I'm curious what the like what the truck size and like travel you know, and freight implications of that versus like generators is and how that yeah. matches up, which I mean, we could probably dive into that for like half an hour on its own. <laughs> <laughs> right. But the the quick version is that I did the math. And so, um, and I wish I had the numbers. If I'd have known you're going to ask, I'd have pulled it up, but, <laughs> but it's basically not much. So, so these were big units. They weigh 6,000 pounds a piece and they had to be brought in to Chicago from Fort Wayne, Indiana. And so I did the math and figured out that it would cost something like, um, I forget how, how many gallons of fuel it was, how many gallons of diesel, but it was a, a very, very small amount compared to the amount of diesel fuel that would have been burned to replace our solar power. Um, it, it's not even close. So, you know, people often mention, oh yeah, what's the carbon footprint of transporting these big giant units, which is valid that, you know, but it's not um, insignificant. In yeah, it's not ex insignificant. But in the big scheme of things, we are reducing the carbon footprint, and that that's really what matters. That's great, and yeah, that's an awesome thing to keep doing. And it would. Um, do you know our? So I know most of the stuff you've mentioned has been like one-off and festival kind of things. Do you know are any tours doing that yet, or is is that still kind yeah, of on cool. the? Coldplay has been doing it for a long time. Now, um, I don't know much about the Coldplay other than what I've read. And I know they uh -huh. got in trouble with the press because they were supposed to be using um, re uh, recycled cooking oil in their generators. But, but they were, they've been accused 
of using virgin palm oil and I don't and which involves clear cutting forests and I I don't know enough to uh to speak about that other than I know that it was in the press gotcha. and so they've been kind of low key about what they're doing but they're really you know they're doing a lot they're they're touring the whole world with a lot of um renewables now some of it I think is a little bit gimmicky they have the 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 uh, bicycles you ride to power the stage. <laughs> and if you do the math on that, you know, <laughs> they're not, they're not providing a lot of power, but it's a good gesture. They also have the kinetic dance floor so you can dance the, the lights on stage on, you know, <laughs> but, but again, you know, piezoelectric, yeah, it's not a huge generator. You know, it's not going to produce a huge amount of energy, I should say, but I like that they're doing it. I like, yeah, I like the approach. That's so great. You know, to, basically, to what see they're spreading. doing, yeah. Basically, what they're doing is raising awareness, which which needs to be done. We need to be more aware of what we're doing um, to the planet. Man, I feel like if they're not getting enough energy from the bikes, they just need to put my kids on the bikes because I feel like they got never-ending energy, dude. Like it never right? stops. You're like, dude, spend ten hours of you ripping around on this bicycle, you can skate and ride and skateboard and roller skate, and you you still not tired? Damn it. Hey, keep Dad's going, exhausted. keep going. Daddy's, Daddy's got to do an encore. Daddy's got to do an encore. Yeah. Don't stop now. Totally. <laughs> totally. That's great. That's oh awesome. Oh, my God. Uh, um, Versus, so, you know, just having a couple of drunk people at the festival, like three pedals. You're like, right. we're out. <laughs> they, they fall over. Power the next song, yeah. man. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah, no, you, did, you powered a chord. You barely powered a power chord. Yeah, right. <laughs> Right. Um, bringing us bringing us back around to like not not to get all technical again for us but um we talked about balancing loads i know another subject came up that i think people often confuse with that is balanced power which sort of i feel like had oh. like uh as far as like noise things like had a like brief little almost heyday in like the early to mid 2000s and yeah. it sort of seems to have faded away again. Like, can you explain a little bit about the idea there, if, if you're familiar with it, and and yeah, what works or doesn't there? Yeah, Not it's, nice it's really, <laughs> it's really, it's really a brilliant idea. So you just take a 120 volt transformer and you put a center tap in it, and you ground that. So that becomes your zero volts, and now you have one hot that is 60 volts and another hot that's 60 volts and they're 180 degrees out of phase. So you get 120 volts across the two hot conductors. But the magic is that the any noise that's induced into the, the hot conductors cancels out because they're 180 degrees out of phase with each other. So it really does work well to um, lower the noise floor and give you more headroom. So I think now you typically see it in recording studios. And so now to, in order for this to work well, you have to, if, if there's a lot of electromagnetic interference that gets induced into the conductors, it has to be induced equally on both conductors. So you have to twist the wires together, like the tighter, the better. Yeah. And so so, so it, it's almost exactly like what we're doing with audio cables, just doing it with power mm -hmm. as well. That's right. Exactly. It's yeah, it's noise rejection. It's, it's balanced XLR noise rejection. Now the difference is that in the um, in the audio amp, there's going to be uh, the the ground doesn't come into play. It's just a um, shielding. It's, it's a it's a balanced. Um, 
you know, balanced amplifier, ba balanced signal amplifier. So there's no ground in introduced into that. Yeah, but the magic really comes from the $50 transformer that you use, and then you can sell it to Hi-Fi guys for like 500 grand for their <laughs> audio system in a beautiful package and, you know, sell three of those wow. and you can retire. I, I like the way you think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always about the money with Sean. That's right. <laughs> hey, man, this uh, mortgage ain't going to pay itself, was, dog. Did, did, there was that Hummel emitter out for a while, which did they finally get rid of that, though? Was it the Abtech? I think I... I I don't want to throw them under the bus if it wasn't them, but it was like, it was incredibly unsafe. It was like capacitors between the, like, do you know what I'm talking about? Or am I yeah, the Humex, yeah. Yeah, yep, the yeah. Hum, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they got rid of it, but I, I you know, I, I looked at the schematic. I'm like, because first of all, they don't, they don't reveal the schematic, but people took it apart and yep. drew the schematic. And you look at the schematic and go, well, that's just two inverted diodes. How does that work? I never understood what they were trying to do with that. Marketing. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that's yeah. how that works. Marketing. Yeah. Monster yeah. cables and, and hum eliminators. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Solid gold conductor. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah, dog. It sounds twice as good, man. <laughs> uh, so my my last kind of big power question before we get to I've got some like smaller and more practical stuff I wanted to ask you about before you mm -hmm. left. But one question that came up in the comments that I was about uh particularly with isolation transformers, like what kind of maintenance is needed on those, which kind of perked yeah. my eyes up because it's I certainly fall in the camp of like maintenance, it's a transformer, it just sits there. So I wanted to pass that question on to you because you can speak much more intelligently about that than clearly I can. Yeah, I saw that 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 post, and I thought the same thing you did. It's like, wait a minute, what? How do you maintain a a, a feeder transformer? But I I know I know this. So when they make a transformer and it's brand new, the insulation, you know, the windings isn't are insulated, right? It's it's a they use magnet wire, so it's kind of a varnish is the insulation, and as soon as it's made, the insulation starts to deteriorate, and over time, you know, the insulation um, breaks down and you start getting leakage and you, and you start getting inefficiency. So you, you know, the, and the, the way inefficiency manifests in a feeder transformer is that it turns the electricity into heat and into noise. So when you have a brand new feeder transformer, it should be relatively cool. I mean, not cool, but it should not get too hot and it should be relatively quiet, even at full load. So if you have two feeder transformers side by side, both carrying the same load, and one is way louder than the other, and one is hotter than the other, then you can tell that one is is in the one that's hotter and louder is in failure mode. It's eventually going to fail. You know these transformers will they should last decades, but if you run them hard all the time, they're going to fail prematurely, and that's what I've seen before. Now the the only way to fix them is to send them back to the to be remanufactured, and that's expensive. And and um, but as far as maintenance goes, the, I I don't know of any maintenance other than to make sure that there's no dust bunnies inside of them. Make sure that the the connectors are in good condition, all that kind of stuff. Now what the guy ended up saying on his post is that that particular transformer was not bonded which is an entirely different thing because, you know, the, the feeder transformers are normally bonded in the feeder transformer, and that should never change. 
Now, if it's a portable feeder transformer, I could see how maybe somebody for some reason might disconnect, you know, take out the bond and then bond it in the, in the, in the panel, the first panel after it. But that doesn't even make a lot of sense to me. So, um, when, when I go into a venue, you know, the first thing I like to do is to do a visual inspection of the feeder transformer. If I can find it, if I can get to it, sometimes there's no access or sometimes it's off premises, but if you can see it, you want to make sure that, that it's visually in good condition. You know, it's not a rust bucket, you know, um, and make sure that it's not too hot, too loud, especially if there's no load connected to it. You don't, you don't want it to be too loud. And then also, I will also check to make sure that it is bonded. Now, there was a period of time where I was um, very often checking for bonding and feeder transformers in buildings because I'd read an article about some people who were fatally electrocuted because there was a, um, a feeder transformer that was not properly bonded. But I did that for probably about a year and I stopped doing it because I never found one that wasn't bonded. And I figured, you know, if it wasn't bonded, somebody would have found it long before I got there. But for portable transformers, I always check them to make sure they're bonded. But as far as, you know, for me, maintenance would be if I look at a feeder transformer and I'm like, yeah, that won't work. Then my maintenance is I pick up, you know, the radio and call for another one, right? Because usually in our venues, in our arenas, there's more than one available, right? So other than that, I, I don't know of any maintenance that, that can be done on a feeder transformer. And I, I do a lot of electrical inspections at theaters and amusement parks. And, you know, part of uh, that job is to, is to do an inspection of the feeder transformers. But unless it's a, un- unless it's a utility type transformer, you know, it's a, those are oil filled. If you see those big giant, if, you, if you're driving by a switchyard, you see a big giant transformer, those actually have oil in them. Now that that's a different story because yeah, periodically the oil has to be drained and replaced, but it's decades and decades before that has to happen. And what what is the oil doing in those? It's for cooling. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, and then, it's a and, liquid. Yeah. Got it. And then and on, I just want to revisit and kind of summarize the thing we talked about earlier. Just as I'm looking down the list of questions of folks is. As we're talking about feeder transformers and where the bond should be, and and the one thing yeah. that came up a lot was with either like particularly Broadway shows that are uh, traveling their own isolation transformers, or uh, shows with like international acts that are touring their own uh, step up or step down transformers, is that um, is that there's usually there's not going to be a neutral feeding into that transformer, but there's one feeding out which tends to throw people who aren't familiar with them out. And that's because that transformer is basically generating a new, a new isolated set of power. It's isolating the ground through the transformer and it's generating the neutral in the bond coming on the, on the service side of that transformer. Yeah. So it really depends on what kind of transformer it is. If it's a 480 volt to 12208, then there's no neutral because um, the, the incoming power is a Delta the, the windings are connected in a delta, which means there is no neutral point in a delta connection. So um, you would have your, your three hot conductors and your ground. The ground's very important, but you don't have a neutral. And yes, you're right, because, you know, the neutral is, there's two, uh, two purposes for the neutral. One is 
It's the return path for your three hot conductors if it's phase to neutral current, you know, 120 volts mostly. And the other reason is for it's your zero volt. It's your zero volt. And this, the, the neutral, and here's why the neutral and the ground are connected together, because the ground is connected to earth and the earth is zero volts. So your neutral becomes your zero volt reference. And when you connect a bunch of load to a, a three-phase feeder transformer, if it's an unbalanced load and you didn't have a connection to uh, the earth, then your zero volt point would drift around in and find its own balance. So what that means is that some of the, the legs will go high in voltage and some would go low, but the, um, the, it just depends on the connected load. So that's why we have a neutral. But on the incoming side, the, uh, the three hot conductors are um, connected, or sorry, the three windings are connected in series with each other in a delta fashion, not in a Y. So there is no new, neutral point. So that's why you don't need the neutral. Does that make gotcha. sense? And, yeah, and then the other place I see people confused is when you've got a, just a straight-up isolation transformer. So you've got a 120-208 to 120-208, but maybe the building doesn't have an isolated audio ground, and you need or want that. So you're bringing a transformer there. Right. And there it's the same thing. It's because that is now your your feeder transformer, effectively. You've, you've right. added a secondary one. So you're yeah. not going to... Having a neutral go into it would then be basically giving you a double bond... I think, or it just—I guess it just doesn't come into play at all because it's going—it's on the other side of the transformer. Yeah. Well, again, uh, you don't need the neutral because. Um, well, wait a minute. Sorry. If it's it, again, it depends on the connection of the transformer. If the transfer—it's yeah. it, it, not. Doesn't matter whether it's one twenty two oh eight coming in. What matters is how the windings are connected, and typically yeah. they're connected in a in a. Um, in a delta, which means they're connected end to end to end, and there is no place to connect the neutral. Is there is yeah. no there's no neutral point. So what's the point of bringing the conductor when there's nowhere to connect it, right? Right. And 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 again, on the outside of that, feeding your power district on the audio on the isolated side of it, you are generating a neutral there by nature of bonding it right. on the on that side of the transformer. Exactly. Yeah, it has to be bonded on the secondary side. And that needs to be earthed. So and now when I say earthed, you, most of the time you guys connect it to a cold water pipe, which is fine mm -hmm. because the cold water pipe's connected to the earth. So you are you know, virtually connecting it to the earth. The, the point is that there's no um, voltage on that pipe because it yeah. is literally connected to the earth and the earth, the voltage of the earth is zero. So now it is important. You're supposed to make that connection within five feet of that water pipe connecting to the building to make sure that it doesn't turn to PVC somewhere and it's not isolated from the building. Because if you happen to connect to a metal water pipe, but then it's isolated from, from ground, that's not good. Interesting. So it's not, so the five foot isn't, the, isn't like an impedance thing. It's literally because that way you can see it's going all the way to ground. Right, yeah. There's, it's less likely that there's a change from metal to PVC, which I would isolate it. You know, but gotcha. you can always check it once you bond. Once you once you make your connection, once you take that green conductor and connect it to the pipe, then you should check the impedance. Take your multimeter, put it in ohms mode, 
and check from electrical ground to building steel, and you should have very low impedance, like maybe half an amp. I mean, half an amp, half an ohm. <laughs> yeah. Right on. Um, and that, that leads me to, I was going to bring it back to a couple more practical questions. And one of those is uh, choosing a meter. You're going out to buy a, a multimeter, clamp meter for a show. I know one of the lessons I learned from you years ago was the different categories of meters and which ones we need for different things. So if, if you give folks a little, a little look at that, I think that would help folks out. Because I feel like a lot of us sure. are buying like just cheap meters off the shelf at Home Depot that don't know what it is or isn't protecting them from when they're measuring, or likewise, they're spending way too much more than they need to on like a top-of-the-line fluke that they don't need. Right, yeah. I actually bought my one of my meters I bought at Lowe's, but it's a Fluke 323, which is a Category 3 up to 600 volts and a Category 4 up to 300 volts. Now, so meters are categorized according to how well they protect you against things like voltage surges and lightning strikes. Because if you happen to be metering, you know, if you take your volt probe, you take the probes and, you're, and you put them on terminals and there's a lightning strike to the building, if you have a Category 1 or Category 2 meter, and this has actually happened in the past where the meet, there was a lightning strike, the meter blew up, and it actually killed the electrician and a fire marshal who was standing behind him. So if you, if you want to read that story, go look for, um, there's an, a magazine called ECNM, Electrical Contractor and Maintenance, and um, the article is called a, a, case, a case Study of a deadly, for, um, a deadly Arc Flash, I think it is. The Forensic Study of a Deadly Arc Flash. So, yeah, you want to get at least a Category 3. So, Category 3 meter is good for metering at distros and, you know, further upstream, like on the secondary side of feeder transformers. But the primary side of feeder transformers and outside on generators use a Category 4 meter. So, Category 2 is for uh, receptacles, you know, like uh, Edison receptacles, breakouts, that kind of thing, because the wires are relatively small, you know. So when you have smaller wires, there's less energy that can get through them. So if something goes wrong, it's not going to be catastrophic. Whereas, you know, different story on a feeder circuit when you're talking about 4-aught or 2-aught feeder. And you're also closer to the source of energy, which is the, the transformer or the grid. You know, so that's why you need a higher category of meter the further upstream you are. Um, you know, also, when it comes to meters, like somebody emailed me the other day and said they were looking at a, a C800 meter. I forget the brand name now. Um, I'll think of it in a minute. But um, I looked at the specs, and this meter was a very nice meter. It had an amp clamp. You know, I think what we need in our industry is we need to be able to uh, clamp conductors and read amps up to 400 amps. We need to, to be able to read voltage with the volt, voltmeter, and we need continuity uh, tester to test fuses, and if you're um, a lighting guy, to test the um, tungsten filaments to see if they're blown. Other than that, we don't need capacitor testers or inductor or temperature, and, and this particular meter had capacitor tester and it had temperature probe on it, and it cost like $200 more than the next lower model, which was the C600, and it didn't have the, the capacitor and temperature on it. So I said, yeah, you don't need the 800, just buy the 600. So he saved a couple hundred bucks. So could you make a couple recommendations of like what you have found to be a, a good quality Cat 3 and Cat 4 meters that maybe don't blow the budget, but are a good, reliable, well-built product? 
Yeah, my workhorse is a Fluke 323, and it cost $125. That was before the pandemic, so it might have changed by now. But it, it's so category now it's a thousand bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but it's still a category three up to six hundred volts and category four up to three hundred volts, which you know that's the vast majority of stuff we do. That's that's plenty. Now the next one up from that, and I forget the model number, is a category four up to six hundred volts and a category three up to a thousand volts. So if I had if I had a um, you know a, a a bit of money to spend because that would probably cost around I want to say two fifty, two seventy five. So I'd probably get the next model up if I if I wanted to spend that much money. Now there are also some really um, cool meters. Like there's a FLIR meter that has a built-in infrared camera, and I use infrared cameras when I'm an Emmy on a show. I use my infrared camera a lot because it can instantly tell you if you've got a problem by looking at the heat map of your power distribution system. And it has saved me several times on shows and prevented disaster. So, but I use my, my uh, IR camera is a FLIR one. It costs 200 bucks and it pops onto your iPhone or your Android, but they do have FLIR amp meters or multimeters with the built-in IR camera in it. And those are $600. Um, I was thinking about getting one. I might still, but what I do like about that one is that it uses a nine volt battery instead of the one of those coin batteries. Because my FLIR one, the battery's always dead, and the battery doesn't last long. It lasts about an hour, and that's not long enough, you know. So, not real happy with that aspect of it. A quick uh, uh, search of everybody's favorite purchasing website here: one hundred eighteen dollars and thirty nine cents for the uh, three twenty three. So, yeah, exactly. What oh, you it went it down. Was. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, then you get like a combo kit. I'll throw out or throw out for Rich to either yay, nay, or or indifferent on is I've the last decade or so also been a fan of uh, ideals meters, which also offer similar ratings, certifications, calibrations to Fluke, but uh, both aren't quite as expensive. And one of the things I don't know if you've seen they they have the tight sight line of meters, which for the clamp meter there's a little extra LED or LCD display in the butt of the meter. So when you're sitting there and you have to clamp around feeder like oh, going into a panel, it makes yeah. it a lot easier to see it. And they also tend to be cheaper than the comparable um, flukes because they're fluke being who and what they are. There is a little bit of a fluke tax for the name. Sure. Yeah. This, um, this idea looks like it's eighty five bucks on the same, oh, same for the same kind of a thing. I love that idea though because I'm always contorting myself trying to read the face yeah. of the meter. That was no, I didn't do, buy it for that, and I thought it was a stupid gimmick. Yeah. And then the first time I had to use it, I was like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh, I don't ever want to want a meter that doesn't have that again." Yeah, no, I have never seen those meters, but that sounds good. I do have an ideal circuit analyzer, which I use all the time. Yep, because it tells you if your circuit, if if a circuit is wired correctly, it tells you the uh, impedance of the mm-hmm. of all three conductors. It tells you the volt drop, voltage drop. So it's got a lot of information. And uh, it really comes in handy. Yeah, that's. I was mentioning that briefly before. Is the one tester I know of that will actually like out of the box test for what they call a false ground, which is what we were talking about earlier. Basically, a secondary ground neutral right. bond. And yeah. yeah, they're great. It's they their base mode for those who aren't familiar with them basically emulates one of those neon outlet testers. 
but mm-hmm. it can test for all these other things Rich mentioned that are that a neon outlet tester can't, and it can test for some unsafe conditions that a neon tester will completely miss. It's they're not without yeah. their own flaws. Like that's getting into the weeds of of some ECM articles as well. <laughs> but yeah, but but they're the one super thing powerful it, tools. The one thing it won't catch is a bootleg ground re- with reverse hot and ground, yeah, and uh, reverse neutral ground. Um, and, but so to catch that, you need a non-contact voltmeter, and that will catch the voltage. You'll you'll be able to sniff voltage on the ground uh, c- pin. So that's. I mean, I always carry one on my on myself on my yeah, ba- in my back pocket when I'm working the show. Basic safety safety yeah. tool, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely vital. Yeah, which which you I mean, think like a little three light Edison tester. You plug it in, and it just shows you all the. Are you talking yeah, about something the, different? Talking, like the no, little, little chirpy wand. pen. Yeah, yeah with the, the pen. wand there with you the go. little tip that you like, you turn it on, and when you hold it near a line that's got power, the light flashes at you, and it goes. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, and they're like they're not that expensive. Like they're maybe twenty like 20, bucks. Yeah, twenty yeah, bucks 18, or so for a cheap whatever. one. Yeah, yeah, and I can yeah. get a magic wand for twenty bucks. Um, they, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a great tool, dude. That's cool. Yeah, if you're ever sticking your hand anywhere where it would be unsafe to stick it in if it's powered, it's you should have one of those to just yeah. Like I, I Dude, I'll just put one know. in every workbox. That's great. Yeah, and just exactly. you know, yeah, that's a, one of those yeah, like trust to verify. Like somebody says it's yeah. unplugged, I'm gonna make sure just to right. just before I stick my hand in there because my hair sticks up enough as it is. I don't. I yeah, don't right. Need. <laughs> Andy, will you put? Let's put some links in the show notes so people can find yep. the wands and those fluke meters cool. and that ideal meter you got, so that people yeah, can like, we'll, we'll post check a bunch this of out. Links. Um, and then the one other topic I wanted to get on before we let you go, uh, again, going further down the branch circuit is, can we talk like quad boxes, stringers, extension cables, what's legit, what's not, what's allowed, what's not. Um, I know like one of my pet peeves is how many companies use like the interior junction boxes with the knockouts as quad boxes, which is, is to my, is both against code and just really stupidly dangerous. So I want to kind of, yeah touch on that a little bit and about the other things we tend to do that either are only kosher with footnotes or just aren't kosher at all. And please stop doing that. Yeah. Well, so um, according to national electrical code, you're supposed to use a listed gear. So if you cobble together a quad box with some Edison receptacles on it, you know, that technically that's a code violation and who knows who put it together. Is it really safe? So, yeah, there's lots of great solutions out there. Sure, they cost more money. You know, it, it's going to cost you more to call up Lex and get a string, you know, um, whatever uh, solution they have that you need. But what is a lot of cost? It hurts my feelings just saying Lex out loud, bro, let alone <laughs> having to pay for it. Like, <laughs> they make some great stuff, though. Yeah, they do. They make some they great, make some stuff. great I just, stuff. I look at that price yeah. list and I go, <laughs> but you know what well, if you've ever tried if you've ever tried wiring one of those rubber like power con, you know, chain your own quad box stringer things together yourself, you understand why they charge us I don't do right. that. I have exactly. a garret for yeah. that. I don't do that. I got a garret. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So but and the other thing I see a lot is people abusing power strips, you know, plugging power strips into power strips into power strips. You know, that's not cool cuz you know, the, uh, first of all it's it's a 15 amp connector so you only have 15 amps now most of them have little circuit breakers on them but it takes time for the circuit breaker to trip so you can literally melt the thing down and if you're plugging a power strip into power strip what are you doing you, you know you're you 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 are using the 
the wrong solution. There's a better way to do it. You know, they make stringer cables for that, right? So there's better ways to do that. That's that's one of the things that you see a lot of in our in our business. You know. Okay, so if quad boxes are out, what's in? Well, again, look through the Lex website. They have uh, what do they call e stringers? They call e stringer call them e stringers. So it's basically a um, a receptacle. You know, every three feet on a twenty five foot cable, but it's the right ki- kind of cable. It's type S. It's uh, it's all rubber or it's all plastic instead of metal. Um, you know, it's just it's infinitely better. Yeah, and and they and other companies make actual listed quad boxes where it's either whether right. it's a plastic enclosure or a rubber. Like I said, the Lex ones I was mentioning, and a few other brands make them in. Sure, uh, I think Motion Labs now makes one where it's in like a rubberized box, and it's just mm-hmm. rather than being wired wired permanently as a quad box stringer, it's just got a PowerCon blue and a PowerCon gray on either side or true one. And you can you can yeah. put a PowerCon to Essen cable on it and have a single quad. You can chain a couple of them together and make a stringer with whatever length between quad boxes you want. Obviously, you at that point have to be aware of how many you're stringing together and what the circuit can actually handle. Because uh, yeah. it, it does physically give you the ability to get ridiculously <laughs> long with those, which you don't want to do. Oh, I see. This is just the rubberized quad boxes is what you're talking mm-hmm. about, rather than the rather yeah, than and, the like. And the, and the idea is that you're buying it as a pre-made assembly so that they've got in that assembly you all listed and tested for safety is what's going to make it legit <laughs> right. code-wise. Exactly, yeah. Um, and and aside from code, the other thing I was getting at with, with the what using those interior metal boxes as quad boxes is when you're using the ones that have the knockout punches, those knockout punches knock in. And it's very right. easy to drop that on a site, have it at a corner of a case, and suddenly that's potentially shorting your hot on your neutral or your hot to your ground. Absolutely. And I, that is one of the few really passive-aggressive things I will do. If I see one that's even slightly broken, or sometimes, depending on the company, if I see them come out at all, I will make sure that one of those tabs is very obviously folded in, in a way that's bad, brightly label it, this is unsafe with an arrow pointing at why, this is why this is illegal to send out, don't do it again. Yeah, that's a good idea. And also, you see those uh, the strain reliefs will get loose, and the mm-hmm. jacket, you know, the 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 wires without the jacket will be sticking out of it, which is not, you know, that's not going to be safe for very long. So yeah, and yeah, you're right about the knockouts. Anytime you have uh, any critter has access, they will they will get in there. They'll chew the wires up. They'll chew the insulation. They'll cause a shock hazard, a fire hazard. And yeah, it's just a bad, it's a bad scenario. Absolutely. So metal boxes out, rubberized boxes in. Yep. Damn it, Andy, you're the most expensive friend I've got. I, <laughs> you see, but this is gun. expensive in the short term, but long term it's saving you lawsuits and workers' comp claims. I was going to so say, yeah, what's cheaper? It comes back a, around. A lawsuit or, or good gear. Definitely the good gear is cheaper. Yeah. The good expensive gear is cheaper. Uh, I mean, I think we're kind of getting close to. I mean, we could we could obviously go for hours and hours, and maybe we bring yeah. it back on again if folks have more questions. But is there any last bit of advice? Uh, Absolutely, yes. I don't want to leave without saying: do not lift the ground. You know that little three prong to two prong adapter is not. Those are not. We call them ground lifts. They're not. That's not what they are. Those are to make the ground. If you have a three prong connector 
and you have an old building with the two-pronged receptacle, but in order to make it safe, you have to take the faceplate off, take that little screw, put it through the green tab, and put the faceplate back, plug it in, screw it in, and if there's a metal junction box and metal uh, conduit, now your equipment is now bonded properly or grounded properly, if you will. But if you don't do that, you're putting people's lives at risk. Now, the last person that I'm aware of that died because of that was Augustine Briolini on November 22nd, 2014. So it's been 10 years, knock on wood, that as far as I know, that that's happened, that, that, that it's happened. But it will happen again unless we stop that practice. And we're only going to stop it by raising awareness, training people not to do it. There's better ways to resolve ground loops than by lifting the electrical ground. It's okay to break the safety ground. I'm sorry, to the signal ground, not the safety ground. Do not lift the ground. <laughs> and that's yeah, what XL, I want to XLR, say. XLR ground lift, good. Right. Edison yeah. ground lift, not good. Not good. Not good at all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we'll have to do. We had we had a uh, Pat Brown from SynodCon on recently, and we've talked about having him on again. And I mean, we could easily do a whole episode with him just on troubleshooting grounds and hum and buzz, or yeah. like any of a couple yeah. of the other folks he's had teach workshops on that. And that's something yeah, we should tricky. definitely revisit. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Last but not least, uh, Texan, uh, where are we going for food? Are we going to are we going for barbecue down by you? Are we going for Tex Mex? What's uh so, if we come to visit you, where should we go eat? So here's the thing. I moved to upstate New York. I actually live on Lake George now. All right. And we, and we have the best restaurants. And, and I could not believe it, but that we have world-class restaurants within an eight-minute drive for us. So when you come up here, we're going to Bistro La Rue. And that is a, um, a, a small restaurant that was... Uh, so, so there was a guy who grew up in this area and then moved to San Francisco and went to culinary school. But his father wanted to entice him back to the area, so his father bought the restaurant on the condition that he, him and his wife would come back and run it. And they've been here now for, I think, eight years, and it is fabulous food. It's really, really good. So that's where we're going. I'm in. That sounds yeah, awesome. I'm just hungry. I've, I've, been, I've been looking at last-minute uh, pivots for Valentine's Day because we weren't sure if we were going to be home or not, and now I'm like— I was. I just got over all the hungry from looking over the menus, and now I'm hungry again. <laughs> uh, well, come on, let's go. Come right. on, there you go. Hop in the car. Um, there you go. Well, well yeah. thanks so yeah. much for joining us. It's I, my I pleasure. Hope, like, and I hope if folks' eyes glazed over as we got a little technical earlier on, we brought it back around. And I mean, I would say this is an episode I will certainly go back and listen to a couple times because there's lots of little important tidbits there and. This like of all the things we do outside of rigging electricity is like one of the biggest safety things that we we are all somewhat conscious of, but I think need to be extra extra conscious of. And and like you said, there's always something to learn. So totally, words. dude. Yeah, totally. Rich, I think I'll, right I'll have you out to the to the shop, and you can teach some classes here, and I'll invite whoever here in the signal noise wants to come, and we'll Let's just make a it. big old party at the shop. Anybody yeah. but Andy can come. He's too technical, and he's making me throw out all my quad boxes, so he can stay at home. But I'll everybody else sitting in the back with the screwdriver just uh, punching in all the knots. Like, like, no, you son of a bitch! Leave my boxes alone. <laughs> yeah, I'll be like little Andy Fufu, just bopping all the quad boxes on the head. Uh, we'll, we'll connect offline and try to set all something right. up so you can come out and, and teach the world how to you know That'd not kill us all. Yeah, and, and yeah, you man. also do online classes as well, correct? I do. Yeah, I have some online Boring. classes. So check out the website. Yeah. <laughs> 
in person, I, bad I, jokes, good food. That's what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. You got it. Cool. Dude, so thank we'll, you for coming out. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Thanks a lot. And we will we will make sure we link to all your websites, all for folks who do want right. to take an online class or any of the in-person ones you've got on the books right now. We'll link to that in the show notes. Um, and I think on that note, we'll we'll send us home. Right on. Well, thank you to RCF and Alan Heath, and thank you to everybody who's listening and Richard for showing up. That's the pod. See you guys next week. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Just a quick footnote on this episode. Richard reached out uh, shortly after we were done recording and asked us to please thank Overdrive Energy Solutions and Neil Vasaveda, Boxer Hardison, and Sean Jacobs, who are the ones who brought him in on the uh, battery inverter projects that we talked about in the episode, and without whom he wouldn't have those opportunities. So uh, thanks to those gents, and thanks again to Richard for joining us. We'll catch you next time.